Congratulations, Lead IQ, on the launch of your new product, Scout. If you haven't used Lead IQ before, head to jbarrows.com slash lead IQ, all lowercase, to get 100 credits to use for emails and direct dials. Good morning, everybody. This is John Barrows. Make it happen Mondays. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. Um, I am sitting here with, I like I always say I'm really excited to have people on my podcast and all that other stuff, but this one's especially uh, fun for me because my good friend Katie Tynan, who I who saw me grow up grow up in business um, and cut my teeth and figure the fuck out what I was doing at a very young age, is here to join us today to talk about career development. As a matter of fact, so Katie, introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, John, thanks so much. It's so great to be here. And yeah, we had some really good times together, some of which are, are shareable and some of which will remain where they are. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I spent 10 years in tech and a big part of that was working with John at Thrive and collaborating with him on sales, which was awesome. Um, I did a whole lot of different types of consulting. And what I started to realize after you know 10 years in consulting is a lot of people think it's technology that's the problem, and it's almost never the technology. The technology does what you tell it to do most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's the people and the process and the leadership and the communication. So what I do these days is I consult with organizations that are trying to figure out how to get people and technology to work better together, how to change and get people to do new things effectively and all that stuff. And a big part of that is figuring out how you keep your skills fresh how you get really good at what you do, how you keep your passion level high in the work that you do and all of those things. So that's what I love to do. That's what I'm super passionate about. And I'm, I'm so glad to be here to talk about it. Yeah, no. And it's funny, just so for those those listening here, like seriously, you've heard me talk, they heard me talk a lot about like Thrive Networks back like that was, you know, I went from DeWalt to Xerox and then started Thrive, you know, where was the fourth member of Thrive. And you know, 25 years old, I would say, I, I had no fucking idea what I was doing. <laughs> none I, of us did. <laughs> no, none of us did. But you were you were actually way more mature than the majority of us. Like, we were all a bunch of degenerates, and you came in and kind of put, gave us a little bit of credibility, I think. And, and I remember, you know, learning a lot just um, – again, in business, working with you and Dylan and, 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 you know, from different perspectives, right. And, and from an IT standpoint, cause I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. So one of the things that we could actually talk about, I think we could do a whole nother podcast on is, <laughs> is like the sales rep slash sales engineer relationship. Yeah. Uh, cause man, I abused, I abused you guys real bad early on days when I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> I actually use the joke all the time. Like, because I didn't know what I was talking about, I used to bring a sales engineer with me all the time. And so I'd be like, hi everybody. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> So anyways, Katie, uh, <laughs> yeah. and John would say, Hey, we can do that. And I'd say, no, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. That's like the constant tug and pull for like sales and engineers. It's like, yeah, sales says we can do that. It's just like, no fucking way. We're not going to do that. It's like, but come on, we got to get the business, but no fucking way. So yeah, I we think we, do that, but it costs twice as much and it's going to take twice as long as you just said, but yeah. <laughs> so I digress. Anyways, we could, like you said, I think you know where the bodies are buried more than most. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. But let let it, let us talk about career development because I, you know it's actually very timely. This week, uh, this past week, I was in, I was doing a bunch of trainings, and I a lot of times get reps coming up to me and saying, 
John, you know, like career advice, you know, I'm either a, I'm not happy with where I am right now. And I'm wondering what, I, how I should look at things or, and what was interesting this past week was, you know, a kid came up to me and said, Hey, John, you know, how do you stay so passionate for like, for so long? I mean, you've been doing this now. I mean, I've been now doing training now for, I don't know, 12 years. So then I'm fucking 43, whatever. Um, and he's, <laughs> you know, how do you still have the energy to get out there? and go do what you do. And I said, A, I, I love what I do, but B, I have a plan. You know, I'm working towards something. So one of the things that's interesting to me is this, is that I tell kids this all the time, in your 20s, try everything out, right? Because you, there's limited risk, right? So, you, you know, you can sleep on your parents' basement, you know, in your parents' basement if you fuck up, whatever. 30s, you should start to figure out kind of really what you're great at and go in on it. Oh, yeah. Um, Kind of, right? And I'm doing buckets here. And then 40s, if you kind of haven't figured it out in your 40s, you're kind of screwed. So so how should, let's talk because the majority of the audience here, I'd say is, you know, probably anywhere between the ages of 22 and 28 years old, starting their careers in sales. I always used to look at the question when I would get interviewed as a kid, like, hey, what do you want to be in five years? I always kind of rolled my eyes at that. I actually think that's a pretty important question right now. So if you're a rep right now um, and you're a little bit frustrated because you don't have a lot of direction, what advice would you give to a kid to say, like, hang in there or here's how you should look at it? Like, what's the, that typical conversation for the kids that ask you those questions? Yeah, I think your original advice is spot on, right? The whole idea that you can't know what you're going to like or not like until mm -hmm. you do it. So let's just take me for an example. I have a psychology degree. I 100% plan to be an elementary school teacher. I am so not an elementary school teacher. In fact, I spent <laughs> about, I don't know, 30 minutes in the classroom during my college career and was like, that's yep. not, <laughs> let's not do that. Yep, you nope. don't know until you try things. I would never have told you that I was going to get into IT if you'd asked me when I was in college. And when I was in my 20s, if you asked me what, the, what I was going to be doing in five, 10 years, I didn't really know. I was sort of following that path of, I like this. I'm good at this. It's something to find in yourself is observing what you do every day. What things come really easily to you that maybe are hard for other people or what things when you do it, you just lose yourself in that work and you're like, God, I could do this for days. So it's really a self-observation process in your 20s. And I agree with you. You got to experiment. You got to throw yourself into it. And you're going to suck at stuff the first time you try it, right? Like the first time you do anything, you're not going to be knocking it out of the park. Nobody gets in the pool and turns out to be Michael Phelps on day one. But you got to try it. You got to like it enough to keep trying it. So it's no good to keep banging your head against the wall on something that you really don't enjoy either. Well, so that's me, my big thing is go let to- Let me ask you on that. Yeah, let me yeah. ask you on that because, because I think there's a lot of people that look at like- I think millennials get a lot of shit these days for, for reasons that they shouldn't, you know, I, I, and I think a good friend of mine, Richard Harris, he actually has a really good perspective on this. He says, you know, the main reason that I think millennials get a lot of shit from our generation, from the Gen Xers is because we're to a certain degree jealous, you know what I mean? Cause it just it, like, it, it, there's so much opportunity now and it's so easy. It's so much, e it's seemingly so much easier now to get an access to information to, you know, all this stuff compared to what we did. So we're a little bit jealous. Like fucking, I wish that was me. Right. So it's, that's where he's saying it's come from. And I, to a certain degree, agree with that. The one thing that I do have a little bit of a concern with, though, is, is with, the, with the younger generation is, is the lack of patience 
um, and the work ethic factor, right? Because they all want to be, they all want to, because I think we're living in an Instagram world right, right now where everybody shows the outcome of how awesome it is, but they're not showing the journey of what the fuck it takes to get there. Right. So, so I'll give you an example in our world, like SDR sales development reps, right? That is a shitty job, period. You're uh -huh. making fucking cold, like depending on the company you work with, it, it can be fun, obviously. I think it's the most important job in sales, but, but I mean, you're banging away 50 dials, you know, you're so it, it gets really mundane. So I can easily see where a rep wants to get out of that as fast as possible. But there's, there also is something. And so to your point, like I could easily get into an SDR role and be like, fuck, I can't stand this. You know what I mean? How do I get out of this? But what's the temper? What's the, um, like, how long should you go into something to determine whether you really don't like it or to get really good at it so you can earn the right to get to that next level of your career, right? Help me understand that. Cause I think that's a big problem that's happening right now. Yeah, no, it's huge. And I spend a lot of time um, in the startup space and, you know, cause we were there, but I've mentored a lot of startups. And one of the things that you find is it's actually, it builds strangely bad habits, right? Because everybody tells you, you have to keep beating your head against the wall. Even if you get a hundred no's, you got to get a thousand no's. Even if you get a thousand no's, you got to get a million no's because eventually you're going to get there. Yeah. And sadly, some people just aren't ever going to get there, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a balance. I think you need to give anything enough time. And to me, enough time is three months. Okay. If you can do something, and I'm, I, I'm sort of making up that number, but I'm yeah. sort of not, right? That's the habit amount. If you look up how long it takes to form a habit, it's like about 21 days, right? Isn't it 21 days in a row doing something 21, 21 days in a row or three month period of time doing something consistently, say three to five days a week. So if you're building a habit, that's how long it takes for you to basically get good enough that you're competent at it. Mm -hmm. And so if you've tried something for three months and you're still not good at it, you still don't like it and you still think it sucks, then I would start thinking about other things with a big, huge caveat, right? And the big, huge caveat is Every single person, sales, not sales, whatever your role, should have at least five to 10 people in their network that are sort of ahead of them, right? A year, two years, five years ahead of them that you can go and talk to and say, hey, how did you feel when you were in this shitty role, right? How did you feel when you were doing this work? Did it get better? When did it get better? What did you progress to? How is it now? So that helps you if you're going to keep beating your head against the wall have some context to put around that and say, oh, maybe it did suck for three months, but maybe six months, all these people say, oh, at six months or at a year. So, cause, cause there is a point like that, that I agree with you where it clicks, right? Where it's just like, okay. And, and it just becomes a little bit easier because you've been doing it enough times. Yeah. Um, and I think in sales there's, but, but I also look at that like three months, six months, but I also look at it as you have, you have a 40 year career ahead of you. You know what I mean? And the problem with sales is, is, is it's usually the default profession, right? Because we don't go to school for it. We don't, we, we rarely, you know, there, I think there's about 70 universities now where you can get your major in sales. Um, so, which is way better than it used to be. But the fact of the matter is, is people kind of get into it with this perception. And then what happens is they get the shit kicked out of them because it's not easy. 
Um, and yeah. then they give up a little bit too early because they're like, oh my God, like that, no, absolutely not. But if they stuck with it for a little bit longer, you know, and, and evolve, they might be able to really create a great career for themselves if they just got over that hump. So my fear is, is that too many reps are too eager to get through that shitty part without really focusing on it. And one of the analogies I always use is like Picasso, right? I mean, you know, like my, one of my, my, my original major was, was art. And Picasso is, you know, he made, he, he mastered each medium, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like, he went into the blue period and then he did that. And then he went to Cuba's, you know what I mean? And, and he perfected each medium before he went to the next. And I think there's something about that. And so I worry that reps aren't giving it enough of a chance and realizing that it's a building block for a much larger and much more fruitful career if you get through that that part of it because it's never easy that first part you know what i mean so um i mean are there some things like let's talk about the plan right we were talking about this before we started recording like I think one of the most critical parts is to really look at your your life, if you will. Forget about your career for a second, but your life and ask yourself, you know, that question, like, what do you want to be in five years? I used to think it was a total bullshit question when I was a kid, like, oh, I want to be a fucking manager. And yay. And, you know, <laughs> you know, but now and I don't know that just based on experience or what I actually think that's a really important question. But it's not necessarily where you want to be in your in that job in five years. Where do you want to be in your life, like lifestyle wise? What kind of car? What kind of, you know, do you want to be married? That type of stuff. And then based on that lifestyle, back into it, it says what kind of job and what kind of money do you need to be able to make? And then back into here. Because yeah. I get so many reps asking me, John, I'm not really happy as an SDR or BDR and something like that. And I'm looking for a new gig. What should I do? And I yeah. say, and I ask them, what's your plan? What's your, what's your plan? And they're like, well, I don't know. And I said, look, if you don't have a plan, Look, if you have a plan, okay, if I have a plan five years out or whatever it is, and I am doing something shitty right now, if I'm eating a shit sandwich right now, right? But if that shit sandwich is going to get me to that next level, that's going to help me get to the, to ultimately get my plan, I'll eat that shit sandwich all day long, right? But if I don't have a plan, I'm just going to go from eating shit sandwich to shit sandwich to shit sandwich and trying to find better taste in shit sandwiches, right? So, (laughs) so how, so how do you give that kid the patience short term, um, with a plan who's in their twenties, who should be trying all these different things out, but, but not like giving up too soon. Yeah. So there's a couple of things on that. And first of all, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to throw some real theory at you kids. So learn from professor Katie, um, (laughs) in psychology, and you could totally look this up on the internet if you feel like it. Uh, there's a guy named Abraham Maslow and Maslow is the guy that created this pyramid, which you've probably seen of the hierarchy of need bottom of the pyramid. If you think of it as a pyramid is your basic needs. Can you pay your rent? Can you put food on the table, right? Can you do those things, those basic things that are so important? And you have to be able to do that before you can be happy with any role before you can even think about whether you like a role. And so I think sometimes when we talk about planning and we talk about, you know, thinking way ahead, it gets hard if you're not in a position where you can at least feel like you're safe. And so I think everybody has to start out in a position in a role where they're fulfilling their basic needs. And unfortunately, in sales, with a lot of positions being quota-based and commission-based, 
you're so focused on shit. I've got to get my quota done. I've got to get to the point where I'm making enough money. It's hard to think about that planning ahead. So I completely agree with you that if you don't know why you're working, you're never going to want to work. It doesn't matter what job you're doing, whether you're digging ditches, whether you're the CEO of a big company, whether you're a sales rep, whether you're you know head of sales for a multinational. If you don't know why you're getting up every morning and going to that job and doing that work, you're going to be unhappy. Okay. So, so actually, I'm going to pause on that for a second. Yeah, go ahead. I think that's super important. Uh, like I go through the why exercise for like, I, I did the whole Gary V thing, right? And, yeah. and, and did the, okay, what's your why? And I fundamentally believe that as a business, right? So I came up with our why as, hey, sales done right, like that type of thing. And because I believe when sales is done right, it's the greatest profession in the world. When done wrong, it's not. And so I'm trying to elevate the profession. So that's, but that's my business. Okay. Now my why personally is my daughter, obviously, right? Charlotte, like I'm doing everything I can to put her in a position to be successful. My goals have shifted now to try to make it until I'm 70 years old and so I can watch her get married and be successful herself, right? But when you're a 20, like how do you walk a, like a, a kid in their 20s through what their why is? Like what's what's a kid in their 20s why these days? And or what? how should they, they at least think about that? Because I never thought I never thought about it when I was in my twenties. Yeah, um, and I don't think I don't think that every twenty-year-old knows what their whole life path is going to be or what they're going to want out of life. I didn't yeah. didn't know when I was twenty. Yeah, no idea. When a lot of people and and believe me, I have lived because a lot of the work that I do is in talent development world. I have lived um, with listening to people talk about millennials for, I don't know, five, 10 years now. And, and it kind of drives me nuts, right? Because millennials are people. And so there were all of these consultants and God bless them, they went out and spawned whole careers consulting on how you manage millennials. And I just look at them and I'm like, do you know that they're people? Do you know you manage them like people? Because every single one of them is different. They have hopes, they have dreams, they have goals, they have preferences, get to know them as freaking people. And then you'll know how to manage them. And I think the same thing is true in reverse, right? As a 20-year-old, you don't know everything. You can go try and get some of that information from people who are ahead of you. But the fact is you're operating with limited information. And when you have kids or when you get married or if you never do any of those things, but you decide you want to you know, tour the world, whatever your life becomes, you're not going to have all that information until you get there. With that said, and I'm going to say something that <laughs> I'll probably get in trouble for later, but money doesn't buy happiness, right? We know that, oh, yeah. but it will sure as shit buy you a boat that will sail you right up close to it. So you can't solve all your problems with money, but you can solve a lot of them and you can have a lot of problems if you don't have money. So if you're 20, and you have a grand passion to, I don't know, go and try to dig wells in Africa or do work that is really charitable in nature, go do that. That's great. But if you don't know, my first piece of guidance is go get a job that makes you some money because <laughs> you're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I got a similar talk track. I said money doesn't buy happiness, but it sure shit gets rid of unhappiness. Yeah. You know There's I mean? a like, lot of things you can fix with money, dude. Yeah. A lot of things. Yeah. So I, and that's kind of like Jack Welsh, you know, his advice. And I, and I like this one too, is if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, go get a job with a company that has a brand name. 
mm-hmm. right? Because what happens there, and especially companies, and I and I say this in sales, like I, if I didn't know, uh, you know, getting into sales, getting into out of uh, out of college and going into sales, uh, my advice would be to go get a start at a company like Salesforce, start at a company like you know Oracle or whatever, because that name that name is gonna like first of all, there's gonna be, they're gonna be massive training, they're gonna invest a lot of you, and you can basically use them to get to the next step of your career. Because for me, when I took, uh, I didn't even know it, but my my second job before Thrive was uh, was Xerox, and at the time, Xerox obviously is a very well known brand, and they had an insane, like, well known training program. Mm-hmm. And so when I was looking for jobs right before Thrive, like when I would go out there and I had Xerox on my resume, people would be like, "Oh man, Xerox!" Like, and it was an immediate qualifier for me. And I didn't even have to talk about it. You know what I mean? Whereas if you work for some no name company that nobody has any idea about half the interview on your next job is going to be like, well, what's that company do? And what'd you do when you were there and that type of stuff. And so just building the logos, if you will, on your brand early on, and to your point, maybe going and finding a little bit more of a secure thing to go make some money doing it while you figure out what you're truly passionate about is not the worst idea. Yeah. And I also think to go down that path a little bit more, um, what you just said about training is also important that you can get hired by a startup tomorrow as a sales rep, because every startup is dying for people to go sell their stuff. And most startup founders are not very good at sales. So you can get a job anytime, any minute of any day doing that kind of work. But If you can get yourself into an organization that is going to provide you with some, and it's not all, but some of the professional development that you need to learn, because some of it is, and we all know this, there's stuff you like because you like it and you're good at it naturally. There's other stuff that maybe at first you don't like, but then when you learn how to do it, you get much better at it fast. And so you could be banging your head against the wall because you're just doing it wrong. And then you get some training or you work with somebody who knows what they're doing. And all of a sudden it's a different picture. You just nailed why I love doing what I do, right? Because from a training standpoint, the, you know, I always say, look, I, I don't have all the answers, but I've made a shitload of mistakes in my career. And so my goal when I do training is to help reps skip a few steps, right? And I used to try to, when I'm doing training, like, you know, say there's 30 reps in a room, I would try to reach every single one of them. Like, oh, you gotta gotta pay attention because shit's good and it's gonna work and all that other stuff. And now I actually don't give a shit about the 30 reps in the room. I only care about the ones that really want to learn, mm-hmm. right? Because there's always the group in the back that's sitting there on their iPhones, and I used to try to force that. And now I'm like, hey, that's your fucking problem, not mine. But but the ones where you can tell they're like, I, I I'm I'm freaking out right now because I got this job, I got this quota, I don't know, and I've been blasting out these bullshit template cadence emails and making phone <laughs> calls, and I'm getting no success. And then I come in and I give them a little bit of guidance and some tips and tools and techniques that work, and you literally watch them go, fuck, like all right, like now I get it. You know what I mean? And, and, and I hated it before, but now it's kind of interesting to me. And, yeah. and I, that's a huge point of, of really trying to, and that's what I think I was going back to as far as giving something a chance. Mm-hmm. You really don't know that you don't like it until you give, have been at least given some guidance on some things that work so that you can start to see that momentum build in a positive direction. Yeah, and I think that's, 
it, that's a really important element to understand is how we learn, right? How, because everything that we do is learning today in mm -hmm. our careers. And I say this all the time, work is just applied learning. Right. So we're out there trying to figure stuff out every day. Most of us don't have jobs that we walk into and know exactly how we're going to do it every single day. So knowing how you learn, knowing what tools and resources are out there, knowing how people in general learn can be really valuable to you as you're trying to build those skills. So in the tech world, and you know this because we both came from there, when I talk to technology people about careers, I say, look, guys, it's hard, right? Because you started out and you had to just know hard skills, right? If you could fix a server, you could have a job in IT. And the same thing is true in sales. If you could sell anything, you could have a job in sales. Mm -hmm. But then you have to add on to that your soft skills. Okay, now you know the tech inside and out, but can you relate to people? Do you have leadership skills? Do you have an understanding of how people, other people think and process and communicate differently from you? And then finally, now everybody wants business acumen on top of that. So yeah. you got to have hard skills. You got to have industry specific skills. You got to have your soft skills. And now you have to have business acumen as well. And that means you better accept that you're going to be in a constant state of learning for your entire career. You're never going to be done. And that's important if you're going to be happy <laughs> working because you can't be like, shit, I got to learn again today. Yeah, yes, right. you have to learn every day. After an every day. Yeah, that's, I mean, I have the, you know, the 12 guidelines to success. I think I sh you, you know about, right? Because I came up with them at Thrive. And one of them is 1%, get 1% better every day. And this is that, you know, uh, what was it? Um, raving fans, right? Mm -hmm is like, know who you are, know what your customer expects of you, and then get 1% better every day. And I've lived my life by that my entire life, which is if I can look at myself at the end of the day and say, was I better today than I was yesterday? Then no matter how bad my day went, if I got a little in, and I mean that in the sense of the smallest, like 1%, that's why it makes it manageable, right? Like, did I make one extra call? Did I go that one extra mile? You know, whatever it is. And if I can say that, then I feel good about my day. If I, if I can't say that I got better today than I was yesterday, then I am, you know, I, I know I'd have to do better tomorrow. Yeah. Then you're better tomorrow is to actually do your 1%. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you... True. But what do you do? Like, so how do you, um, how do you guide? Uh, Cause I'm sure you get a lot of reps who ask you just like they ask me, you know, John, my, my company doesn't invest in me. They don't invest in training. So how would you approach um, educating yourself and, and ha having that learning mentality and, and from a resource standpoint, or like, what would you do to integrate the business acumen and learning earlier in your career with, if, if there was a company that really wasn't supporting that? Yeah, so two things. First of all, I think we we give, and I'll call them kids because they are kids coming yep. out of college, but, and I was a kid too. Um, I, I think we give kids the wrong idea because of the way we, whether it's high school or college that you go through just before you get your first job, we give people the idea that education comes from someone other than them to them. Right. So first of all, you got to bust that right out of your brain mm -hmm. and say the person that's responsible for and accountable for your professional development is you. And mm -hmm. you're the only one that's going to be able to make that happen. 
your company may provide some stuff, but let's face it, their goal, especially with people having short tenures, is to just give you what you need to do what they need you to do. They're not really motivated. Even the best of companies have a hard time sort of teaching you all of those pieces and parts and keeping track of where everybody is on that. So you've got to own that. That's part one. Part two is, thank God we live in the age of the internet (laughs) because there are so many resources, whether it's free stuff that's out there, whether it's stuff like LinkedIn Learning or Coursera or Udemy, all of those. There's just tons and tons and tons of stuff that you can go and find. And John, I know you've got a ton of resources Mm -hmm. out there that you spent years putting together. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are awesome for doing your half, which is what can you learn and what's your learning plan? What are the skills you're trying to get? Where can you get them? And I think it is important. You talked about a plan for your career and that's right. But I think you also need a plan for your learning and your development. Where are your gaps? What are you really great at? What do you suck at? What do you need to be able to do? And how are you going to get that learning? And the good news is there's tons of it out there, but you've got to meet your company halfway or more. You've got to own that process. And if your company's not giving it to you, you're not allowed to go whine and say, they're not investing in me. you got to go do it. You talked about the routine factor, because I think this is also like, or, or the the building a habit, right? 21 days or, th- or three months. Um, and I talk a lot about how, in order, in, at least in order for me to integrate something to into my uh, to to do it consistently, right? Um, if I treat it as an event, like I'll give you an example. If I treat learning as an event, it almost always gets pushed down to the bottom of the priority list, mm-hmm. right? Because something always is going to come up where I got to e- respond to that email, I got to write that proposal, whatever it is. So ah, that hour I had blocked off to do a little bit of research. Screw it, I, I can get to that later. So what are your thoughts about creating a routine around your, your own personal learning and how would you do that? Yeah, so there's a couple things. First of all, when I teach career development classes in big Fortune 500 companies, I tell people all the time, you need to put two two-hour blocks a month on your calendar and they need to be movable but not overwritable. So you have that block on your calendar that says you're going to sit down and think about your career development, whether that means you're going to take an online course or you're going to go read some articles or watch some videos or whether you're going to take a class or read a book, whatever that is, you put that time on your calendar. If you have to roll right over that time because you've got some other priority, that's fine. You can move it, but you can't delete it. And Again, under the heading of meet me halfway, lots of people come to me and say, well, Katie, why can't I have time during my day, my work day, to do professional development? You can, but then you're taking away time from doing the things that you've got to do to be successful. So meet your employer halfway. If they're going to give you an hour, take an hour out of your personal life. If that means that at 10 o'clock at night, you're reading a book or watching a video, that's a great investment of your time, but don't feel like all that time has to come out of your work day. Well, and, and thank you. Um, cause, cause, and you're, you're in it more than I am, but what, what happened? I, and maybe it's just me. Cause I had my lens on, like, I never wanted to rely on somebody else. You know, I, I and I've, I asked my parents this all the time. Like, what did you do to instill a, a strong work ethic in me? Right. Cause I'm trying to do things, the same thing for my daughter. 
but, but it like, I feel almost bad telling reps these days that suck it the fuck up, do something on the weekend or do it at home. Like, like, don't like your eight, your nine to five thing. Like, don't try to cram it all into there. Like, am I wrong in that there's a little bit less of a desire these days to do anything quote unquote work related outside of work? Cause I'm seeing that I'm seeing reps like who are like, well, I, I don't have enough time to be able to do that, John. And, and I'm like, well, fucking do it on the weekend. Like, that's what, I mean, you saw me, I, I worked pretty much seven days of work at, a week at thrive. I was up at a networking event every single morning and every single night, you know what I mean? Working until about one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning because I, I had a drive to be successful and, and, and better myself. But am I, am I mistaken that that mentality is, is shifted? And now it's like, well, what's in it for me? Why should I do this? Why should I have to work off hours? Or, or am I just being an old fucking back in my day? (laughs) I think it's actually a little of each, right? I grew up the same way you did with the, your work day starts as early as you can get there. And you, if somebody calls you at 10 o'clock at night, you answer the phone and you don't resent that because you're trying to get somewhere and prove yourself and all of that. And to some degree, I think that's right and valuable. With that said, I think what we see is a backlash from people who saw their parents do that growing up and who look at that and say, that's not sustainable. That's a shitty way to live your life, that everything you do is work and you never have time. And you're always sort of saying, oh, yeah, you know, in six months, this will all cool down and I'll have time. But you never, ever get there. So to me, it's how do you find how you personally are most effective, right? When is that? Is it Monday to Friday, nine to five? If that's when you're personally most effective and any time beyond that makes you grouchy and makes you suck at what you do, then don't do that. But if you love something and you're really passionate about it and you want to answer your emails at two o'clock in the morning and drive for that, that's great too. I mean, we haven't touched on this, but sales is, and consulting is like this too, it's a weed out the weak profession, frankly. And the people who don't want to do the work and don't love it for the sake of it and aren't feeling motivated by the rewards of doing those things aren't going to want to be in it for the long haul. And they probably should go find something else to do. But I also think you've got to watch yourself and you've got to watch how you message around that because it is possible for people to look at you and think that what you do is impossible for them. And so you got to set the bar high, but you've also got to say to people, look, you're the best judge of your life and your goals and your priorities and you figure it out. And if you're totally comfortable and you want to, you know, we know some people like this, work your nine to five and then go skiing on the weekends. That's awesome too. <laughs> but just don't bitch about it. So I think right. that's, I'm, yeah. I'm 100% on Gary Vee's uh, uh, tip here where, where he says, look, if you make 40 grand a year and you're happy, then fucking amen, you win. Like you, and I, and I agree with that. Like if you are, and I know, and I know plenty of people like this too, who literally they work nine to five, they have a decent house. They live a nice life. They they play with their kids on the weekends. They go to their, their baseball games and all that other stuff. And they're happy. And look like, regardless how much money you make, if that's, if you figure that out, like you are, you are my definition of success. But if you're making 40 grand a year and you're bitching and moaning that you don't get the opportunities or you're not making enough money and you're not willing to put in the work to get more than that, then I got no fucking patience for that. 
nope, that's right. You are dead right that it is about no, nothing is free. You're never going to get given that corner office and that 200, $300, $500,000 a year salary. You're just not going to get that by sitting back. No. And so you need to sit forward. You need to put your time and sweat equity into your career. And you need to do that in a way that helps you get where you want to go so that you see those results so that you don't feel like, man, I'm just doing this because that's what my boss wants me to do. You got to be doing it because it's what you want to do. And that's, and, and actually when you bring up the boss factor here, I do also think that the, 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 where management and leadership misses is they don't help reps understand how they fit into the bigger picture. Right. Cause I always say like, if you don't, it, as a, as a leadership team, if you don't have a vision and, and the people that you work that work for you aren't, aren't bought into that vision and don't understand how they fit into that mission, you're never going to get somebody to do more than what they're asked to do. Yep. Right. That's I mean, that's, and that's absolutely I mean, true. I look back at thrive. Right. And I look back at us. I'm like, what the fuck? Like Calvin, Nate and Chris did something to find a group of us because we didn't get paid shit. And we all worked like, like 10 times harder than I think anybody I've ever seen in my life to get that company to where it was with no ultimate real benefit for us. I mean, I was the one out of those, you know, those three founders had 90 plus percent of the equity. Right. And I, I was the one who had the most outside of that, which was 1%. And when they sold like, not like I remember, I don't know about you, but I was pretty fucking bitter when they sold. And I, <laughs> you know, I got a nice little small down payment on a house and each one of those guys walked away with millions but for some reason, we all bought into the vision of Thrive, right? And, and I told Jimmy on my way out the door after I got fired from Staples, and I said to him, I go, dude, like right now, you, you need to stand up and you need to tell people, look, here's the new vision of where we are as an organization now that we've been acquired, and here's how we're going to get there. And by the way, here's your role in helping us get there. And if you do, great. And if you're bought into that, fantastic. If you're not, then please leave and, and we'll find a nice transition for you. But how, what do you think leadership's role is in getting people bought in? Because I think I think leadership has, I get a lot, I don't know about you, I get a lot of these questions. John, how do I get my reps to work as hard as me? And the answer to that is you're never going to get your fucking reps to work as hard as you because they're not, they, they're not as invested. I mean, sure, give them the exact same amount of equity that you have, then they'll work as hard as you. But if you're if you're an owner and you own 30, 40, 50 percent of the company and some kids getting a commission check, you expect that kid to work as hard as you, especially if you don't have them understand kind of what this is going to do for their big picture career and how they're bought into this. So do you have any guidance on leadership on how they can get reps to to buy into that and also understand where they fit in the big picture? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there and, and you've touched on them really well, right? So one of them is, why did we do that at Thrive? I'll tell you why I did it at Thrive. I didn't do it for the money. I did it for the people. Yeah. I was there every day and busting my ass at 10 o'clock at night for two sets of people. Number one, our clients, yeah. because I was on the hook for it, right? You and I had sat in the room with those people and told yeah. them that we were going to solve their problems. And then if something broke, I was like, well, God, I better go fix that. <laughs> so part of it was that intrinsic motivation. I loved fixing things. I love taking that worry off of those clients who don't understand that technology. If you don't have intrinsic motivation, if you don't believe in the product you're selling to such a level that you're willing to spend some of your personal time and spend some of your 
extra energy on doing that, then you need to find a different company that sells a different product that you really give a shit about. That's part one. Mm -hmm. Part two, from a leadership perspective, is it is about a lot of different things for different people. So I was not as money motivated as I could have been, but I was certainly career advancement motivated. I wanted to be at the next level of my career. And frankly, that Thrive director level position that I had there way early in my career (laughs) got me somewhere that I would never have gotten if I was at like Fidelity. I mean, the hell with that. I still would have been like an associate consultant. Yeah, I always joke that like I was the VP of sales and marketing at the ripe old age of 24 years old, which is a total fucking joke. But at least that title got me definitely some exposure. (laughs) Exactly. So you have to think about all the parts. And if you're a leader, you have to look at each of those people that are on your team and say, why is this person here? Why did they take this job? Is it because of the people? Is it the money? Is it the opportunity to learn and grow? Is it that they thrive in this particular environment? And then you've got to help them see the connection between the work they do every day and that intrinsic motivation that gets them out of bed. And it's going to be different for everybody. Now, that's like ninja management. Not a lot of managers are great at doing that. And so they fall back on, I'll just throw money at this person, right? But it's not always about the money, especially at that level in your career. You know the money's going to come at some point, but you're doing it in order to get somewhere. And I think that's what leaders need to understand. And that's your point about the vision. Do you think it, I mean, you say it's ninja managing, but I actually, you know, the more I think about this, I think we're in a world right now where you just have to accept the fact that you're, that whoever's working for you is going to leave eventually, right? Uh-huh. And they're probably not going to be at your company. So why not create an environment for them where you're going to get the best out of them in the short period of time and be open and honest with them about it, right? And so I'm, I'm wondering if it's, if, if it's almost like if you're a manager out there, one of the things that I would do, and this is what I did with Morgan, you know, I asked him, Hey, like, what's your, what are your life goals here? Like, what do you, what, like, forget about this job for a second. Like, ultimately, what do you see yourself doing? And cause I'm, my job here is to help you get there. Now I want to get the most out of you for us here with this organization. But in doing that, I want to help make sure that you're developing to get to that next level of your career. And like, I'll give you an example, like Morgan, like his number one goal when he came on board was me, was he wanted to be the number one motivational speaker on the planet. Right. You want like Tony Robbins type of stuff. And it always cracks me up. Millennials love all so many millennials want to be motivational speakers when they like they haven't really done anything yet. But that's another story. Um, but but I hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on that. And I said, all right, Morgan, like give me three to four years. I said, give me three to four years and I want you to bleed for me. I literally want you to go out and I want you to go train and, and travel and, and generate as much revenue as you possibly can for my company. And in return for that, I'm going to show you how to run a business. I'm going to show you how to like how to manage, you know, I'm going to show you the keys to the castle of how to do this, but I need you to do this for me. And there's a plan for that. Do you suggest that managers take that, that approach with each one of their reps, which is kind of taking a step back and saying, kind of, let's talk about your life goals here for a second and how I can help you get there. Yeah. So I do a lot of management development and leadership development work. And there are so many theories, dude. I mean, you know, everybody and their mother, myself included, has a book and all of these things that you're supposed to learn and know and do. And it can be really overwhelming to managers, all the stuff that they're supposed to know and think about. And what I tell people is you can forget all of it. Every single drop of theory, you can let it go. 
The only thing you have to remember is to care about those people on an individual basis. And if you personally care about and invest in their success, they will go to the end of the earth for you because that's all people want. They want to know that somebody gives a shit whether they're successful or not. And so I think you're right in that partnership idea. It's great advice for managers to sit down and say, where are you trying to go? How can I help you get there? And in return, here's what I need from you. And it's a really good win-win relationship. And if it's not working, I have written a whole bunch of articles about why retention is stupid and why you should stop trying to retain people, right? I get it that companies know that it costs them money to replace people, but you know what costs them more money? Having people sitting there on the job who don't give a shit and aren't trying anymore. Exactly. So make an environment where the people who are the right people will be super successful and they'll stay as long as they feel like they can be super successful and then be excited when they move on to something new because they're achieving their goals and they're going to help you make a really lovely warm handoff and they're probably going to help you hire their replacement. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because people ask me about Thrive, like what, what was I most proud of at Thrive, right? Um, and, and it's funny because it has nothing to do with the fact that we sold the staples. It has nothing to do with, you know, we were the fastest growing company in Massachusetts and all that other stuff. My, literally my, my, but the thing I am most proud about is that I gave Kevin Ellis an opportunity to do what he did. Yeah. I mean, he, I didn't, I, I never, I'm never going to take credit for Kevin, like being as successful as he was because that was him. But I, I put him in a position to be successful and watched him grow. And now where he is in his career, like I take a lot of pride in the fact that I was part of that. Yeah. And you should take pride in that. And you remember what I said to Kevin Ellis when he was there and he was whining to you because I was hard on him because he wasn't getting it right. And I gave him a whole ration of shit. And he came to you and said, why is Katie so hard on me? And the answer is because I wanted him to be successful. And so I was going to hold him to that standard because I knew he could do it. And I think that's the management that needs to happen to help people understand that you're buying into their success, that you're not going to let them do shitty work because you want them to get where they want to go. So I think that's important. Yeah. Awesome, Katie. Well, I, I think we let's uh, we're coming up on the hour here, and uh, it's been an awesome conversation. I think you and like we we should have a whole another one of of just having a drink and talking about where the bodies are buried. But <laughs> but we're not recording that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, shit. I think people would actually tune into that too. Like I, I've actually been uh, toying around with the do, doing a whole podcast being stoned. Um, and just having like the stoner sales version of it to see how that goes. But I think we'd probably get a ton of viewership on that. <laughs> but but I'll, I'm going to wait a little while on those. But yeah. um, so you said, you said you've written a book. You said you've written a, pun, a bunch of posts and stuff like that. So to tell people where they can find out this, this awesome information. And for those of you, by the way, just before you say that, um, and, I, and I don't say this lightly, you know, I, I say, hey, you know, it was great talking to you. You know, for those of you listening, Katie, I learned a shitload from you when I was, you know, doing the stuff at Thrive. And I've also read a lot of your stuff. And so I truly, genuinely not only value our friendship, obviously, but value the the your approach and, and just whole overall mentality, but also very specific advice on this stuff. So where can people find that information from you? 
Well, thank you. And right back at you. Um, so the short answer is the book that was published a year or so ago was published by ATD Press. It's available on Amazon. It's available on ATD site. It's called How Did I Not See That Coming? The New Manager's Guide to Avoiding Total Disaster. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and just hit me up. And I say this with absolute sincerity. If you have questions about this stuff, if something's bugging you, connect with me on LinkedIn and ask. I am more than happy to answer questions, point you to articles and, and give you advice because I want everybody to be successful. I don't have all the time in the world, but I'll try. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously this is what I love to do. So I'm happy to, to look at stuff at two in the morning too. You know how that goes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I get my uh, Barry Manilow voice on now because I've been doing three days of, uh, I, I was in Chicago, uh, New York and Orlando this week. And I got probably about two to three hours of sleep every single night going from airport wow. to airport. So my, that's why my voice is about two or three octaves lower th th today than it usually is. But, uh, you know, and, but again, it's because the the two things that we kind of started this conversation off with a i love what i do and b i have a plan and i and i'm and i'm executing on that plan which gets me up every single day and helps me stay motivated doing this so well that's awesome and i am so happy for you and the success that you're having and i'm so happy that you can offer these resources out to these sales reps who are coming up in the world and i think it's just fantastic I appreciate it, Katie. So cool. All right, everybody. Well, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Um, just like I tell everybody all the time, you know, if you do nothing else today, go make somebody happy. If you can make somebody smile, then no matter how ba bad your day went, uh, then you know you made a difference in the world and we need a little bit more of that these days. So uh, go make somebody happy today and uh, keep getting better every single day. Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks.